Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, where we take a sideways look at modern businesses, talking to founders and entrepreneurs about the problems they face and how they solve them. I'm Andy Uri, and alongside me is my co-host, Philippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. Thank you. And a quick reminder, if you like what we do here, please do rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without B-S. Now, with that being said, our guest this week is Ryan Wellmans, CEO at SoPro, a B2B service which helps identify, engage, and generate potential customer leads for businesses. Ryan co-founded SoPro in 2015 after several senior business setups and growth roles. And to date, SoPro has grown to international acclaim with multi-million pound turnover and winning various high-profile awards along the way. Very impressive. We are in good company indeed. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for the intro. Um, so what's keeping you busy, Ryan? Well, there's a lot keeping SoPro busy at the moment. Yeah, there's projects galore. Where do I start? Maybe explain, even though I sort of know what you do for our listeners, maybe just explain what your company does. So SoPro is a sales engagement platform. We're the first step of the sales process. So every business in the B2B space, the first thing you're gonna you're gonna be doing in that sales process is, is, is identifying and engaging with the right people in the right companies to bring them into your sales process. And it's one of those things that is you need to be quite methodical, you've got to be quite disciplined, you need a lot of tech, you, you know, you need to be systematic and diligent and you've got to more or less do the same thing day in, day out. But we can systematically deliver in a much more effective way. Um, and, that's, and that's what SoPro does. So we're a platform, but we're a platform with a driver. So we're actually um, running the campaigns. So I come to you, though, as a business. I mean, I'm familiar of, you know, the term outreach, as Americans like to use, but it, it's really email is your primary approach, is it? Or are you using multiple ways that you will you will effectively identify people and send them emails to instigate uh, a first conversation? Yeah, it's all email. It's human to human. It's got to be done in a very particular way to, to be effective. Because the job of an email is not to sell a product. Remember, it's you know, really the only job of, of that introductory email is to invite somebody to the first step of your sales process, which is ordinarily going to be grab a coffee or let's jump on a call or I'd love to take you through something. Um, and it's as simple as that. You don't need to, to sell what you do at that point. Yeah, it's very true. You know, if you were going to introduce someone to someone you you know you really would say if your mate Bob wants to talk to your friend Sarah you would just say to Sarah oh my mate Bob wants to talk to you about some bollocks that I don't care about would you talk to him basically or you'd give him maybe a sentence she's going yes sure you know does he drink heavily is he available you know at lunch <laughs> no I mean you know that as you say that you you don't and also people have so much noise in their life so I think and maybe the second point is you're trying to keep these emails incredibly short. I mean, your email needs to be readable in under 60 seconds, but you don't even have that. I mean, the first challenge is your subject line, and you've got a second, a couple of seconds to, to be read as, as an email. The only job of the subject line is to get somebody to read your email. There's such a high percentage of people that don't get past that first line. It's like the when you get an email that starts with high surname. And you know, it's like, yeah, no, not going to read that. Actually, though, perversely, my old man, who's an old man, he, he the old rule was that you couldn't call someone by their first name until you were given permission. So you would call me Mr. Uri until yeah. one day I said to you, you can call me Andy. That's fine. But an email that says, hi, Miss Sturt, yeah. that's fine. An email that says, hi, Sturt, 
you know that they've got some, you know, list of people and they've just... My favourite is we're called Uri Clark and Clark was someone who worked here a long time ago and there's a bit of a long convoluted story how we ended up called that. But people often write to Mr Clark. Mm. What I want to know is, is what is the subject line that gets people to open emails? <laughs> yeah, a couple of answers for this. <laughs> the ones that generally work are literally, you know, free chat, quick intro, that kind of thing, right? A couple of words, not, not particularly specific. The worst possible example I can give you number of emails went out without a subject line. And you'd be surprised with it. It's pretty much the highest open rate you've ever seen. <laughs> okay. I remember the one you used um, and the subject line was coffee invite, which to me is sort of, do you want to have sex, basically? It's the famous. Hang on, I've got to make a note. No, 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 no. It's famous. <laughs> Comedians have made long-term jokes about this, that do you want to, I think it's Eddie Izzard, do you want to go to coffee, basically, right, means right, do you okay. want to have, you know, and, 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 but you know what, it fucking works. And you know what, I thought to myself, if I got something that said coffee invite, I'd open it. But the my point more is that it's like all things that are in the world of engagement, like one of the most annoying words in the world. It is surprising, you know, what engages because we don't we like to pretend we're better than we are. So, like my crass example just shows underneath it that maybe a little bit of mystery like that, you know, helps. But actually, this what's wrong with asking for someone for the coffee? You know, it's the most polite nice thing you could do. Now, look, the elephant in the room for me, which is a really interesting one, particularly from a British perspective, is I think people regard, you know, receiving emails. And we've got to remember this is B2B listeners. This is not B2C. This is businesses to businesses. The businesses have a right to try and talk to other businesses, although the thorny horns of GDPR, GDPR. are a bit more even complicated than that. So you have to be you know, fairly careful i would say and, and how do you spend your day though are you are you are you involved in all aspects of the company or you know are you focused on a particular market right now or um there's two founders at sopro so rob my business partner's a technical founder so he describes his role as it yeah, anything that's plugged in is really his domain and then conversely my role is really the commercial side of the business so all of the um, commercial departments reporting to me so so the finance operations, client services, marketing. You, I mean, you, you said at the start, you're very much a technology business underneath it, that, 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 that's, that you've got 50 people working, that's a shitload of people working on tech. My question within that is, what is that, you know, you've obviously got a system that can analyze response rates, that's something we can understand from email. What else can it do? What, understand people's responses? You know, is there a real aspiration that, you know, the AI will write the email, the perfect email or something crazy like that? Yeah, it's just, that's a scary thought, isn't it? It's just hard to imagine that a world where that can be done as effectively as a, as a person. Yeah, because people can spot it, really. Not forever. Eventually Not, it will be know, better. it'll be like deep fakes, but, you know, yeah. at the moment people can spot the AI. It, you can just... That that sort of unreality is just hanging about the edges of it. But it's such an ironic idea that you would, you, if they got better that humans than writing an email to a human, then it basically becomes better at writing to people than you. If it can do, if it can write me an email that I'm more likely to, that's crazy as a thought. But it's a smaller formulas because you're not talking about someone communicating about their life and you're doing a very specific thing. You're trying to get me to open that email read that email and look at what that company does, think whether that is relevant to me or anyone in my business and forward it to someone or reply to it as a result and say, okay, I'll give you half an hour, 
for some reason that's relevant. So that's it's a very specific task. So I think the AI will work that out. What technology of yours are you most proud of or excited about that you're working on? So one thing that uh, hasn't really been cracked in, uh, in, in this sort of sales space in general is this sort of connection between the prospecting platform and the website. The prospecting platform is increasingly one of the, the kind of housekeeping components in your marketing technology stack. When you run a prospecting campaign, you drive a lot of traffic to your website. There's a very high percentage of people that will click your email, regardless of whether they respond. And certainly, most people that respond will have a look at your website. And if you have a web plugin connected to your prospecting platform, first of all, you can personalize your, your website. So when somebody lands on your website, you can say, Hi, Andy, nice to see you. Ah, oh, that's well, creepy. Ah, that's just creepy. They know about everything, you know. <laughs> Burn all your papers. Burn everything. <laughs> yeah, about your browsing history. Yeah, um, exactly. So that's one. And it gives you a level of reporting as well that, that will blow your mind. There's something British in me that if I was checking, you know, because I know people can do this now. You send someone a quote and then you open in the quote, they know you're reading the quote and then they can email you or ring you. It kind of pisses me off though a little bit, doesn't yeah, it? Because as a British person, I'd be like, British I'm going to... So what it is, we don't like to be cornered. So I've learned this actually from Australians coming to sell here is the Australians are very direct. Do you want it? Do you want it? We've had a beer. Do you want it? Don't want it. Fucking, do you want it? And British people, that's not how we... We like to sort of almost make a decision quietly in a cupboard and then sort of eventually come out and say, yes, because yes is a massive word to us. It's a big commitment, that word. You know, we, we have yeah. a lot of ways to say no. So funny enough, if you jump... I think the data is very interesting and you can use it to your... You benefit however you could choose fit. But I actually think if you did ring me, I'd say, the deal's off. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Stop, stop freaking me perhaps. out. Yeah, don't yeah. you think a bit? Yeah, 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 no, I think... You know, but I think it's a, a very British thing that you don't want to be, you want to feel like you've made the choice yourself yeah. rather than somebody's kind of badgered you into it almost. I, I think there's a time and a place. And I think and salespeople, they, have a, they do have a knack for uh, you know, approaching and conversations and, and just generally uh, being quite good at introducing. And I think our job really is to facilitate, you know, the information is there. If you want to give somebody a call and say, look, I saw you on the site. I just thought I'd give you a note see if you had any questions. We will provide that information. They can make a decision on how to strategize. All that data, more data, all that information they can they can plan. They can jump out from a bush when you're, you're on your way to your supermarket or something, you know. Look at it another way. So in the old days, and actually I say in the old days, even now, most cold calling is done in a, in a format where people are making 80 or 100 calls a day. Right. And how long do you get to research who you're calling? It might be a few seconds sometimes. You get those calls. I'm sure everybody does, where they're reading your name for the first time when you answer the call. Yeah, wow. I think oh, worse is when they ring you up and they go, Hi, Philippa, how are you? It's so great to talk to you again. Oh. And I'm like, I'm fine. Yeah. Who are you? <laughs> you know, yeah. that whole, who are you and why are you pretending to know me? You, know. you get the pause, then you get a click. And then, and then you're like, oh, I just hang out. Yeah. I just immediately, and I'm only here. But actually, that's a very interesting point. Emailing is better than cold calling. Yeah. Actually, cold calling is pretty much abuse, I would say, people regard it as. Now, I get so angry sometimes, especially you're in the middle of something, you know, you almost drop your baby and it's like, hi, Andrew, can I? No, fuck off. You know, it's very yeah. personal. But actually, emailing 
is a space that I accept information. In fact, I have an email, an old email address that has no spam filter on it that I sign up all my like newsletters and everything because I just want to flick through them all and I just want an address I can abuse and people can send whatever the fuck they go there and I flick through it sometimes, you know, because cold calling used to be acceptable. Do you see where I'm going? Well, yeah, so but the thing is, so where I'm going with this is if you're cold calling in that way, it's an absolute car crash, right? It's a train wreck every time. And the cost of anything you're going to generate from that kind of process is going to be astronomical. But if you take a different approach where, and then this is where the SOPRO data set comes in, you know, here's a list of their recent blog posts, mergers, acquisition data, you know, just everything you could possibly imagine. It links their social profile, right? recent posts and things, news and, that, that relates to the company, you know, recent awards, all in one place. If you go into that call just with five minutes to go through that data set prior to the call, and this is um, the, the reason that we've, we've, we've kind of built it like this is uh, the last time I was sold to over the phone, this is a decent sale. It was about 25 grand. Um, I think we, we actually paid for an exhibition um, that a guy just got on the phone and, and gave me a call about. And I, I was just blown because I've been. Literally, you know, I had a, uh, one of the original uh, SOPRO sales presentations led with cold calling is dead. Mm. Don't I think? It was literally my mantra from day one. And then all of a sudden, I was just beating myself up because I'd been totally salted. And, but the guy was brilliant and he did such a good job. And what I kind of got to the bottom of what it was. And it wasn't like a normal cold call, it was a conversation. This guy was so unbelievably informed about who I was, what we do, our competitors. Um, you know, things that blog posts I've written recently, um, you know, shit but, um, that happened to me recently, and it was a cold call and it was annoying, but he kept saying stuff that was accurate. Like, he got the size of the firm right, you know, where, where we were, the certain things he would like, okay, you would need to be vaguely intelligent to work that out about yeah. us. But because so, so he kept getting it right, I kept listening, and he, and actually, he got to the, I can't even remember what it was for. I think it was some Reuters, some like one of those sort of agencies that wanted to send me a demo link to their new product. I was Silverfin, I think, and they wanted to send me a demo link to their new product, which we've already tested and looked at. Anyway, long story, but yeah, but it was it was a different kind of call. It's not saying I enjoyed that call, but we got through it. And it was okay. It was like, you know, it was acceptable. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Hoorie clock, hoorie clock. The one-stop shop for all your legal and accounting needs. If you're in the UK or overseas. Hoorie clock, hoorie clock. The one-stop shop for all your legal and accounting needs. Your company's big or small, they can help you all. Straight Talking Financial Advice since 1935. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. So now we're going to focus on you personally, Ryan, and, and let's wind the clock right back and talk about what was your first proper job? How did you end up at SOPRO? Um, yeah, first of all, so many ways to answer that question. What is a proper job? What did, you, what did you do at uni? What did you study at uni? Computer science and artificial intelligence. Ooh. So class of 2000, a long time ago, early days for AI. Wow. Nice. And then the first job was? 
over well, <laughs> first of all, door to door sales, very character building, very soul destroying, not very profitable. It was commission only. What were you selling? It was South London, knocking on doors, selling gym membership Jeez. for cash. Oh. <laughs> it's just impossible. But tough jobs, man, you chose to choose. I mean, God, that job would teach you to set up so pro if anything would. Do you, do you realise your first job might have been when you were like, fuck, we need a better way to do this? Well, I, yeah, I think um, all of those things, they're, they're never, never much fun at the time, but I think they're all pretty, uh, they kind of add to the pot, don't they, really? They teach you a lot about life. They teach you about what's important. They teach you the value of money. Uh, a lot of lessons. So I, I kind of wouldn't change anything, really. But you then became... Clearly, at some point, you became an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, so I, I, um, I, I went to D&G, worked in a sales call centre, quickly kind of moved up to managing the sales team. We What's got, D&G? Do- Dolce & Gabbana? Domestic, domestic in general. Domestic in general. It's a funny <laughs> image. It was funny. That's oh, it's Dolce & Gabbana, doing sales. Yeah, Love, that's brilliant. Lovely place. Is there anything that you find sort of more uncomfortable than other things about your business? Is there something you don't like? Everyone's got a different level of comfort with uh, being sort of pushed into the limelight. And I think that, that tends to happen more as the business grows. You know, there's, there's, you know people want the founder story or whatever the marketing guys are doing. Uh, you know, we, we need some videos about this, somebody talking about that. Um, or likewise, um, we, we have big events, actually. Uh, so recently, we were the headline sponsor at Brighton SEO. Uh, and part of that package came with a, you've got this great big speaking slot. Definitely not my special skill. But I guess I've always been the person where if there's nobody to do something, then you know, I'm the person that picks it up kind of thing. So it's just not my comfort zone, honestly. You just have to teach yourself, though, don't you? I mean, I have my whole life hated public speaking. But there was a point in my career where people were kind of like, well, you've got to do it. Yeah. And so you have you to put on your big boy it. pants and go out and do it, even though it's horrible. It comes down to preparation. You've got to get, you know, you need to practice it 15 times before you're up there. You, know, you can't pull it together an hour before. You can't wing it. There's no point trying. Well, you know what they were, the musician would say is that um, the performance is, that's easy. The adrenaline kicks in, it'll happen if you practice. You know, it's as simple as that. If, you've, if, you've, if you practice it, you will get up and it will happen. You know, don't worry about that. The adrenaline takes over and you'll probably do your best performance, to be honest, because you're just underestimating how much adrenaline you're getting. I totally get that um, that point. And I think it's amplified now when it seems to be sort of socially acceptable in, in any sort of audience scenario. Everyone's just sitting on their phone. Like everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, no one gives a 80% shit. 80% of people yeah. are just there and, and you're there, you know, and they might look up every now and then. What do you think is most misunderstood about being an employer? How many people you employ now? Um, we've got about 250 people in. Fuck so off! Yeah, it's a decent size. You are now classed as a medium-sized company on a uh, number of people. You've got to start looking at your transfer pricing. Anyway. I, I think that, so this changes as business grows, for sure. I think probably one for me is, the, the basis of a limited company is this sort of, oh, it's a limitation of liability, right? If everything collapses, if it all goes tipped up, you are not going to lose your house. But I think um, in reality, what you get is very quickly, once you start employing people, you, you, when you transition from being a freelancing on your own or just having a couple of founders, you start having people depending on the business. So they're depending on the performance of the business to pay their mortgages. And you've got families, 
that are dependent on um, sofa cash flow. So many dependencies that you can't help but take it enormously seriously. Well, it is a it is a kind of awesome responsibility to suddenly realise that you're responsible for the livelihoods of a load of other people. I mean, I like what you say because um, one of the misunderstandings about business that frustrates me sometimes is that people think, certainly some of my <laughs> more left-wing friends think, business is bad, you know, business does these bad things, businessmen are bad, like, you know, it's it's a problem in our society, this capital. And, and I'm like, every business owner I meet, like, they don't care about their staff is a sort of common attitude. They don't give a shit. They just want money for themselves. They don't pay people properly. They don't give them proper. And it's like, it's not representative of the business owners I know. And what you just said is uh, what keeps, you know, the most difficult thing for me is caring about everybody's family, that I have a responsibility to them now. I've created this community. And that's how I find all business owners I meet here, to be honest. So, And I'm sad that maybe when businesses get really big, it changes, but I, I'm not even that convinced that's true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I, and I, I agree with you. I think it tends to be people that aren't business owners that are saying that. Yeah. Um, that's, it's definitely an observation. And I think, yeah, if you're, in a, if you're a PLC, for example, with a thousand shareholders that don't even know each other, you know, the ownership of your business is distributed and it's just, you know, who's really accountable. Uh, yeah, that, you can understand how that, that kind of sense of responsibility dissipates. Um, over time, but yeah, in the early days, it's, it is real, it's there, and I think that's a huge misconception for anybody that's thinking of starting a business. It's one of those things that you just don't really understand the magnitude of that in advance. You've created a monster in a way, you know what I mean? It, you, you create a machine that can generate money, and now you've got a responsibility to everyone to keep it going. Do you know what I mean? It's crazy. What's coming up for you and SoPro? What are you most excited about? Well, we got. Uh, so many things going on at the moment. Yeah, we've got a couple of really awesome businesses coming into the incubator. Tell us a, tell us a little bit about I had no idea. You've got an incubator. What, in the same building as you, you've got an incubator, do you? Yeah, I mean, we invest in small businesses that are very early stage. How, how long have you been doing that? Is that recent? or um, About four years now. No, it's been uh-huh. for a while. But whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you started in 2015, seven years ago. After three years, you became profitable enough to start an incubator and start investing in other people's businesses or was it just an incubator first with some office space? How did that happen? Yeah, we have an investment model. We're not, we're not investing millions. But after three years, you were profitable. We, <laughs> you're going to hate me for this. We've always been profitable. <laughs> Congratulations. That's fucking impressive. What's your usual ticket size? Uh, we're fixed at 100k. Okay. And do you, you invest through SoPro or do you do it individually? Yeah, that's right. So we invest £100,000 and yeah, it's yeah. been delivered. Uh, it, it's a drawdown model where businesses that we're incubating can then um, spend that on a variety of things that we, we can provide. Yeah. I'm just curious because I do loads of work with startups and I've been having this debate for the last few days with various people about when people are investing in startups what are they really looking at? I mean, do you, when you're you're having people pitch to you, do you actually look at the numbers or are you? is it very much based on the person in front of you and what you think of them? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of it uh, is the people, definitely. The numbers, look, you know, not a single presentation that we've seen hasn't been multiple millions. They're million hilarious, dollars. absolutely. People have fun with Excel and create, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire, mum, two years, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's, and that's, you just expect that. But you're going to do your own version. You're going to cut the numbers. 
with a realistic cost base. And just, yeah, we'll make a call, actually. It keeps you young almost, doesn't it? It keeps you sharp to, you know, seeing what people are coming up with. If you could change something in the future, and I mean, this is more of a, you know, put your hippie sunglasses on. Is this something you, you, you think we really need to change? We've got a big one in the pipeline. It's a bit top secret at the moment, so I can't tell you everything about it, but I can tell you a little bit. Um, we're, so SoPro is a, is a platform that we deliver as, as a service. So all of our clients have a really um, yeah, sort of concierge experience relationship manager there's somebody that's running your campaign that's strategizing it that's doing everything for you right but actually as a business model that's that's only um, scalable to a degree because we know that for every 100 clients we bring into the business we'll need to employ you know 30 or 40 people to deliver that activity across operations and client services and so if we want to take on a thousand clients or ten thousand clients what are we going to do? 10,000 clients, are we going to employ three or 4,000 people? You, know, start, you get these operational ceilings that actually you can't really overcome as a service model. So it's a properly scaled, well, because this is a huge market, B2B sales. So we can see now today, we can see 10 million businesses in UK, Europe, and US that we can support. Jesus. Probably the best solution we should expect, at least 1% of the addressable market. And 1% of 10 million is 100,000. Right, so to take on 100,000 clients, we can't afford 30,000, 40,000 to deliver its service. So we need a totally self-service SaaS version of prospecting. Yeah. Wow. A wizard, basically. You, you tell it what yeah. you want and then it just yeah, does it. it's going to do everything except write the email. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we've built that. When we've got that and it's running and, and we're just waiting to launch that. And that's going to play a really big part of the business. I have to say, I do quite like, you know, having a chat, a chat with a human, but yeah, it's, if it's well executed like that, then, you know, it's, it's, it is a great way to deliver it. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? You would have heard this a million times, but it's the difference. They're working on the business rather than working in the business. If you can just make yourself as redundant as possible from your day-to-day role, that then frees you up to work on the business and, and just strategically grow it, just improve it. I guess that's the advice to the CEO as opposed to, you know, any job. Like, if you can strategically remove yourself from your own job and and just meddle in other departments, (laughs) you'll probably get fired. (laughs) The thing is, everybody's scared of that. Every single member of my team, in my senior manager, this is what their primary goal is. They are instructed to make themselves redundant. You're never, ever going to be made redundant. If, If you can manage your department to a point where... You can come to work and put your feet in the desk and do nothing, and it runs like clockwork. You know, that is a job well done, and people aren't lazy. Inherently, people are not lazy. They're just going to find more valuable things to do, better things to do. Yeah, that's how we grow. That's how we build out our teams underneath us. Do you, uh, do you listen to podcasts, or you read a lot, or music? What's your love? I'm over in Kent, so I drive to Brighton a couple of times a week, and... I have been listening to quite a few podcasts. What, what's your favourites? I'm pretty big on Joe Rogan at the moment. Yeah, I like Joe Rogan a lot. He's very, very good. Pretty, I don't know, is he mainstream or not? He's, he's definitely mainstream, but yeah, what he's talking about is not mainstream necessarily. Hang on, is this the guy that's been trending on Twitter today? Because he's, he's done a whole thing about not wanting young people to be vaccinated. 
he, I, I love his point of view, but on vaccination from a British point of view, he's, he's, he's sort of got an anti-vaxxer point of view to some extent, but it's very well thought through. He gets all sorts of people to present, you know, it's a very complicated subject when you get into yeah, it. Yeah, there there's been a clip that's been going around Twitter today of him saying that um, young people are likely, more likely to get myocarditis if they get the vaccine. And then the guy he was interviewing pointed to a piece of research which says they're actually eight times more likely to get it if they get COVID. And like I bet it's a really interesting twice interview. more likely to get it if really they get the vaccine. It was very funny. He's definitely regarded by the left as, even though he is on the left, really, if you listen to most of what he said, he's a libertarian, I guess. But but that's that's the funny thing is that the left, uh, the right own libertarianism. So anyway, he because he allows some people to come on his show who are maybe a bit like, you know, too right wing or something, he gets, they seem to chop him up. But as uh, Ryan's alluding to, he's fantastic. His, his talks and conversations that he has, fantastic, you know. Yeah, and I think he, he does, you know, Perhaps a big part of it is he doesn't need to do all the talking and he just lets people get on with yeah. it and he's just there giving people a platform. Um, so, yeah, um, bit of that. I listened to um, this is, uh, might be comfy or not, um, a chap called Safe Dean. What's his name? Safe Dean? Yeah, Safe Dean Amos. Um, he wrote a book called The Bitcoin Standard um, and more recently The Fiat Standard. And just generally, he's quite a good commentator around. Um, digital currencies, decentralization of money, and, and those sorts of areas, which I, you know, I just find fascinating. It's a good thing to be fascinated with right now. So, this is um, maybe our favorite part of the show. This is the business versus bullshit quick fire round. D, cue the music. This is where we reel off a list of key terms, and all you have to do is tell us whether you think it's business or bullshit, okay? I'm ready. You're ready. Excellent. Here we go. Number one, diversity quotas. Business. Controversial, actually, in some... some, What's the matter? Speaking to the mic. Sorry. Number two, stand-up meetings. Bullshit. (laughs) Agreed. Coffee. Business. Given what we've been talking about, it feels like it should be business. Agendas. Business. Hour-long meetings. Bullshit. <laughs> How long are your meetings? Too long. It's one of my meetings without long meetings without agendas. I mean, that's the trilogy. So we combine those last two, and that's massive bullshit. Yeah. 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 Um, office dogs. Careful on your answer here. Sorry, guys. Bullshit. <laughs> no, I'm sort of with you, man. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, Conversation is over. <laughs> carbon credits. <laughs> I'm sorry you can't see the expression on his face right now, but you know. I'm going to be cancelled if I say bullshit on this one. No business. Yeah. Uh, swearing in meetings. Business. Yeah. Damn straight. Good fucking right. Pub lunches. Business. B Corps. <laughs> Business. Non disclosure agreements. Oh, they are they are they're bullshit. They are bullshit, yes. But they're a big part of our business, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's the same answer we got earlier in the week, wasn't it? Yeah. It's both. They are meaningless. They're both business, but also bullshit. They help you get information, is what someone said to me, you know. Um, unlimited vacations. Bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Yeah, you've got to definitely hold that line, bro. You know. <laughs> Unlimited vacations make people take the next holiday. I think that's been proven. What yeah, it yeah, makes it, it has, yeah, yeah. It does. You take less holiday, do you? Yeah. Because yeah. nobody wants to kind of like. It becomes a pissing contest. Actually, we have to force staff to take holiday too. I mean, you know, in, the, in Britain, we don't have a culture of carrying holiday over the year. You know, it's like use it or lose it is generally the policy. But gosh, you know, you have to, you know, people really build it up sometimes, you know. Uh, LinkedIn is the next one. Business. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, formal work clothes. And there's like, I'm doing this little uh, funny yeah. Bullshit. So I'm, here, I'm sitting in a soap brochure. Yeah, I see that. Is that a formal work clothes? The, um, the I'm in an IT company, I've got an air Yeah, shirt. I think it is. I think, I think it is. that might be formal work clothes for an IT company. <laughs> yeah, no mandates, though. The, uh, yeah, I'll go somewhere, whatever they want. Right. Nice. Well, not exactly what they want. Um, I'm sure there are health and safety matters to consider. Anyway, excellent. That's the end of the quick fire round. Okay, so this is where we're going to give you 30 seconds to pitch your company or your podcast or your book or your incubator, whatever you like. Off you go. Good stuff. Well, SoPro, we're a service engagement platform. We help businesses grow simple as that and if you're interested in building your pipeline growing your team growing your business growing your revenues um head over to sopro.io um you can find uh, everything about who we are and what we do um lots of ways to get in touch you can get in touch with me directly my contact details are there phone number and email directly on the site and um, yeah i'd love to hear from you um yeah we're the first step of the sales process and yeah we'd love to love to do that for you guys Great stuff. Okay, so Ryan, if our listeners want to find out more about you online, what's the best way for them to do that? Jump over to sopro.io. Yeah, contact page. You can get a chat on the website. You can give us a call directly on the number there. You'll know who they are immediately and you'll phone them up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, sopro.io and you'll find all of the contact details there. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you to Ryan for joining us. Thank you to my co-host, Pippa. A big thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll be back with another episode next week. And in the meantime, if you want to review us, that's good. You know, that's really helpful. Apple, Spotify, or whatever you like. Uh, or whatever you listen to your podcast, remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without B-S, where you'll find other stuff. Till next time, it's ciao.